Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yes, Chef listeners, we are excited. We are approaching Gizzy Erskine's house. She's going to cook us breakfast in her lovely kitchen. How often, on a cold February morning, do you get to go around to a chef's house where she cooks you a breakfast and you do a podcast? Oh, I'm just, it's just one of those days. I think we, our life's changing, Ben, for the better. <laughs> My life's changing every day when I meet you, pal. So listeners, get excited. We're going to dive on in there. I found them in my house, right? I don't know who's been in my house because they're not mine and my girlfriend doesn't wear glasses, so I'm nervous already. And um, they're so strong. You can see the pores in people's skin. Oh, but wow. <laughs> God, that so that's my worst. I've got, I've got trophophobia, which is very, I'm scared oh, yeah. of holes. And, um, like, that's re- such a freaky thing, though, isn't oh, it? It's too much. Here we go. God, you're Look at that. Let's see. Hang on, let's so, so basically, we've been cooked breakfast. It's a nice warm house. <laughs> and I'm getting my glasses cleaned. This is not. This is this is like this You're is better than Christmas sauce. Day. Isn't it? There we go. This is like where's my brandy butter? I love brandy. I can't can't get enough of that. Do you know stuff. what I discovered this Christmas was um, brandy butter? Like I've run out of butter to do glazed carrots, and I was like, oh my god, I've got brandy butter, glazed with carrots in my brandy butter. Oh, but that's gorgeous. It was amazing. Are you made? Big happy accident. Are you made to do Christmas dinner? Every year. No, I actually deliberately don't do it. It's my protest that I want my mum to cook my Christmas dinner. It's a day off, isn't it? It is. Well, yeah. Boston's holiday. Totally. But actually, I she's amazing at it and I really love doing it and I actually want to be a slob. So I'm I'm totally fine with not doing it. But there is a bit, there is the odd time where I'm like, sorry, we're not doing a turkey how you used to do it. We're brining it now and we're going to cook it at 120 degrees for th- for four hours and that's what's happening. And she's so just you're like, cooking from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically like backseat drive. But definitely. <laughs> Great. So we're starting, yeah? Well, that, yeah, Gizzy, thanks for having us in your beautiful house. Pleasure. It's been a long time coming. I'm sorry it's taken so long to no, get right. here. You're a busy person. <laughs> just loving the pastel pink. It's good, isn't it? Like, yeah. I think I'm trying to sort of make it a bit like uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. Uh, meets a really messed up Tarantino movie. I so feel despite like I'm it tan. being, yeah, exactly. Despite it being pink, it's there's going to be. But finally, when we get there, there's going to. I mean, there's a lot of boob going. There on. is, yeah, uh, nipple. The, the odd tit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, there's, I sort of yeah, I want it to be kind of not pink, girly pink. It's, yeah, we're in, we're in, uh, yeah, like I said, Palm Springs right now. Imagine it like that. And I've just noticed the ceiling fan. Oh yeah, that's good in the summer. 
See, I'm, I'm nervous around the fan, mate. Why? I just know. I just they just scare me. Decapitating. Yeah, they just scare me because I just think who oh, who put them in? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I always think the guy who put them in. I've got not... Tarantino to do it as there part of the look. <laughs> there you go. Do you, do you cook a lot? At home? I do now, actually. I didn't for years because uh, either I didn't have a good enough kitchen because I rented for the last five years. And uh, I've actually, I own this place. I've owned it for five years also for various reasons. I wasn't living here. But um, I haven't had a really good kitchen since I was living in Clapton. Yeah, so now I've now we, I sort of got I owned a place again. It was like, right, I'm going to do it up and have a proper kitchen. And now it's a pretty great kitchen. You've got a pretty decent oven as it's well. Right. I'm just jealous of yeah. the oven. It's a statement See, piece, it's isn't nice. it? It's an owner's oven. I've, I've got a renter's oven. Can do I you, be do you a total twat and go ask, and so I say that that's a custom uh, oh, Falcon. <laughs> so that all of the bronzes is just for me, which is very nice. Wow. I wanted it to look more like one of the French, one of those French ones. <laughs> so... Uh, and then, but then I've got like uh, Gaganau, um have given me like some amazing, like this is a steam oven. I've got a proper sous vide, the drawer that you just sous vide in your drawer. Wow. Really great. Best fridge of all time. I just got a deep fat fryer as well. I know. That's like, that's like, the eight, that's like you've got the 80s mum in you there. I know. Two thermomix. Is, I mean, it's, I am living the kitchen dream. Isn't it? Yeah, she is. She well, is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is very nice. And it's very nice for you to invite us around. So thank you very Don't much. Don't be silly. Lovely having you. Um, we're going to start with asking you about your first food memory. Do you know, I mean, like my very first memory included food, but I'm not entirely sure if it is considered food memory. Basically, I, I was, um, when I was born in London, three weeks old, scooped up to Scotland, which my, my family are all from. And uh, my, we had a big house in uh, Dumfries, a house called Stilston. And it was, uh, I, my first memory is being really young. Like My mum is not convinced about how I can remember it, but... Um, she had a, a vegetable garden and I really remember I go into any vegetable garden, have this weird sort of flashback of tartan rug, smell of like, um, pulling veg from the ground. So mm. really potent smell of soil and carrots or soil and, and, or like that fresh potato smell. So, um, yeah. And I do remember sort of like lying on, on this rug and just being like lots of color and smells and things. So, you know, I have two smells in the world that really evoke memory. One of them's too sweet a tea. And one of them is soil. It's funny that smells yeah. always brings it back. Like every person with us always been about the smell of a greenhouse, mm. the smell of this. It's always like my granddad's stuff. Yeah. So you went to Scotland. How long have you lived in Scotland for? About three years, not quite three years. And then uh, we moved back to London. Did you develop the accent? No, but we're, we're posh Scots. Yeah. So we're, My missus is a posh scouser. Really? That's weird. Do they exist? Really? 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 The posh accent. Which is still shoplifts, right? No, she tries the best. Only, yeah. only, only trainers. Only one trainer from JD Sports. The left foot. So who, so, you, so who was the cook in your house then when you go in? My mum. My mum's the most phenomenal cook. And um, it's fair to say that I have quite a bohemian family. And my mum grew up all around the world. She ran off to um, Paris when she was sort of in her late teens and married the sort of lead clarinet of, of the Paris Opera. And she just wanted to, I mean, her family were Polish Scots. And um, so she was already brought up eating sort of Polish Jewish food. And then uh, then just sort of ran off to France, learned how to cook properly. And then she moved to Italy, learned how to cook Italian food. So she was a brilliant, brilliant, I mean, she is a brilliant cook. There's no getting away from it. I'm really passionate about ingredients and simplicity. And so when most of my friends were brought up eating, you know, classic sort of chops and peas, I would be, begging her to make me fish and chips mm. and and like and peas or like even like a fish finger sandwich and she just would be like 
no, I'm making pad thai today or I'm making like beef bourguignon with some weird cut of meat that would now we really value it. Yeah. But in those days, it was like, oh my God, what do you mean of making that into it up on an ox cheek or something, you know? And or like having friends around was a disaster. And I was always the kid with the smelly lunchbox. <laughs> See, we're just go on then, Ben. It's his favourite question. He, <laughs> yeah. like, he loves this question. Well, it's, it's well, obviously, school dinners are packed lunch. You, you're smelly. Well, no, box. not. I begged to get. Finally, I got the wish of having uh, school dinners because I was so humiliated by my lunchbox. Let's let's go through a couple, please, if you don't mind. I want a couple of examples um, of the stinking lunchbox. Do you know? It was more like. Um, it was, you know, in hindsight, probably wasn't that bad. But when your friends are having ham, neat little ham sandwiches, or little neat little cheese sandwiches or you know i just cr- would desperately wanted cheese and marmite sandwiches like my friends but we'd have mortadella or garlic sausage or even like a little charcuterie thing a little charcuterie going on, going on in my, yeah um yeah and no, i totally and and just feel and obviously i loved it and i found it delicious but you can never admit to all that sort of stuff when you're that age can you no it's really uncool like, isn't yeah, it? So charcuterie. So uncool. yeah <laughs> um and never i was never really allowed all the really cool because i think in the 90s is when at the beginning of having like really cool um, packed lunch fillers in your lunchbox like really cool yogurts and cool um, crisps and things like that and I was never allowed any of that you were more bothered about what your actual lunchbox looked like because I, I had a teenage mutant ninja yeah, turtle. well I think blokes yeah. were I think yeah I think we were all much about the mature lunchbox what, yeah. what do you have I, is it, I can't remember. I was thinking about this the other day. It was a duck. It was something similar. The mighty but duck. The, but no, but it was a cheap knockoff from like the, uh, the my nana had well, gotten had from the market. Mistake, you know what I mean? Like she, yeah. she bought me a thousand pair of socks or something when I went to uni from um, QVC. Literally a thousand pairs. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> like she spent about a hundred quid on these socks. Yeah. yeah. And they all, and she said, I got you, I got you loads of Nike socks. I was like, nice one. They all come and it was just, it was hike with a tint on oh. the H. So but it no, was just all these, no, but it was this beauty, it was that. like they're all hike, but they just moved the H a tiny bit. So it was like <laughs> almost Nike. But when you, because I went to drama school. She had no idea of it. And when I, but I had to do ballet, right? So when oh. I go in there with a hike song, yeah. right? A hike, <laughs> and they're like, bare, they're like, bare feet, please, Jordan. I'm like, okay, no worries. Bang the hikes off. Obviously didn't test the hikes. And they were so bad quality. It just had all this black fluff everywhere. And everyone was like. I was just trying to get, that's why I was, there's me, there's me in ballet and I was the only kid, how bad's this, right? When they get, when they, when you go to drama school, they send you this list of what you have to do. And because from being from Cumbria, you're quite professional, you go, I'm, I'm going to do it. Turn up the first day and you have to wear tights, ballet shoes and a vest, right? That's what it says on your thing. So I'm like, I'll yeah. follow the rules. Everyone's banging around in kappa pants, <laughs> tracksuit buttons. I come in there, you know oh. what I mean? Everyone's like, when did you lose your ball? Do you know what I mean? You know, it's awful. Please tell thing. me you have a photograph. Oh no, I kept that one silent. Anyway, back to the, back <laughs> no, to the can, lunchbox. The worst thing is I can really visualise this. Oh, it was I terrifying. <laughs> but it's, it was like you in the charcuterie board. It's like yeah. you, you want to keep it quiet, man. Anyway. No. So you, you've got, you you have all these influences like really instilled in you from an, from an early age. So yeah. your, your relationship with food must have been pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that. so we we went to Thailand as well. So my mum my mom ended up um, working with somebody who she ended up, well, no, actually, no, they were dating and then she ended up working for him. And he had a company in Woodvenir in Thailand, actually all over the world. And, uh, you know, when we were about 11, when I was about 11 or 12, that was when I first started going to Thailand. And that was where I started to really fully um, get invested in sort of Asian food and world ingredients and things like that. So I think inherently I had it from my mom anyway. But then, you know, there's, there's still this sort of like... There was that, that pivotal moment where I was like, ah, this is it. This is not, you know, the stuff that interests me. I mean, I love British food. Don't get me wrong. I love a slow cook. My mum still, she did used to do like good, delicious braises and shepherd's pies and things like that. But 
I love world ingredients and I love world technique and I love the sort of idea that you don't have to, you know, that you can cook fast and get something delicious at the end of it. I love the idea that you can, it's a lot of, it's very heavily ingredients based that you don't need to use a lot of meat, um, you know, but yeah, I still love all the British. So how, how old are you at this point, do you think? About 11 or 12. Right. So That's then, mad, because Thailand in the 90s, I, I don't even knew what it bloody was. No, I know. So not many people did. I mean, I've I just It definitely didn't go there. there, though, did they? It wasn't like now where everyone well, goes there on, you know, holidays and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the beach, it was like the pivotal moment for Thailand. It was like there paradise, were, right? Yeah, I mean, we I went back to that beach, which they had to close down for years because... The um, beach beach. The beach beach, because um, I've just come back from there. And PP Islands have been like completely ransacked by tourism and all of the coral had died and all of, well, not all of it, thank God, but then a lot of it. And then all the sharks that were there um, had all, all disappeared and now they've cleared it out and there's like loads of new wildlife coming back in and the coral's coming back to life. And because it is paradise, like there's no getting away from it. The place is absolutely stunning. Oh, there's kimchi. <laughs> kimchi, the cats just entered yeah. the room looking very lovely. So like having spending that time there was was really completely uh, a huge influence and then my mum would go be away and I'd be looking after my younger sister my big sister was away at university and I'd be looking after my sister and we would be wanting to cook the dishes that my mum would cook so I'd pick up the phone and be That's like crazy. talk me through this dish and so and because of having to have I'm not having to have that independence I sort of chose that role for myself you were but in charge. I was in, in charge indeed. But she would um, send me, you know, like go go to Edgewood because we lived off of Edgewood Road. We lived in Paddington. And she'd be like, you know, go to this Arabic shop and buy this sort of ingredients. And so I was never freaked out by ingredients, you know. Um, a lot of people when they cook world food, I think, have, sort of can't grasp the idea of these new these new ingredients, essentially. Whereas I didn't know any different because that's how I started cooking. Yeah, there's no intimidation yeah. there, right? Going up in London as well, I think, like for me, when I first came down at 18, mm. I was just shocked that there was Chinese shops that sold Chinese yeah. ingredients. You can go get Arabic. Like where I'm from, there's none of that. Yeah. So you're used to all the like that's slow cook stuff I- all the time, just that, the roast dinners, all yeah. that. And then that's it, you know, central London. Not many people grow up in central London, you know. I went to school um, by, by Selfridges, you know. So it was... It is definitely, you don't realise how much you have at your fingertips then. You probably take it for granted, usually, actually. So you're you're about 11 years old and you're like, I want to be a chef. I don't know if I wanted to be a chef. I just, um, I think at that stage I wanted to make the next Nintendo games. Um, I was like obsessed with Super Mario and used to draw computer games. Got just got over the fact that I wanted to be a squirrel, I think, <laughs> up to that point. <laughs> um, I haven't that one yet. Um Terrible time for squirrels at the moment in the press. Have you seen? Go on. They're like the future of food, apparently. So um, just as well, I never became one, really. That's Um, awful. But uh, the, yeah, so, and then I guess, I mean, I was always going to do something creative. And then just as I got older, I mean, the other thing about my my upbringing was my mum used to have these amazing dinner parties, like so good. I mean, they probably weren't as good as they were in my head, but in my head, I'd sit at the top of the stairs. One day, Paul Daniels came round and was doing magic tricks. No. It was great. It was a great time. With or without Debbie McGee? With Debbie McGee. It doesn't go without Debbie McGee at a dinner party. You can't say, look, I'm going out with the lads tonight. (laughs) Deb, stay in tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? God rest his soul. I know. So you had like, like from a distance or you were involved, you get to see. Well, no, there. because my mum was a single parent with three kids. So we were always um, utterly abused in the in the department of you're cooking, you're helping, you're doing this. So, but actually it was great. We were at her little servers and, and it made us really sociable and really like in understanding sort of how to be around people at a very young age. You know, 
I'm always joked that when we were kids, she was never going to not be able to live her own life. So we would be under under the table at dinner parties having a little snooze while everyone else was having a great time. And, and that was normal life to us. And it was really great. I love that. I love, it's kind of, yeah, it's <laughs> very bouge, that, isn't it? You've probably got confidence from that, right? Because oh, totally. it's, it's just normal, right? Totally. I look at a lot of people and how they interact socially and I'm like, God, I really need to back off and like back down sometimes because I'm, you know, probably too in people's faces half the time. I get that, I get that, Gizzy. Do you? Like, I can so see. It's not good. <laughs> so, so what about when you first went into a kitchen then? Mm. What was that like? Well, I... Um, Were you the a... boss? Were you just... <laughs> you do that, you do that. No, I mean, I, I'm definitely somebody who really likes to learn. So I think, I mean, do you mean professionally or do you mean like when I was Which younger? Is, you know, yeah, you, I mean, you've got this interest, like it's instilled you from a very mm. early age and mm. you've got this enthusiasm, you're already learning a lot. Mm. And then, right, when you get placed in that first kitchen, kitchen where you're like wow how, how different was that from cooking at home yeah I mean I I because I was cooking at home and I I'd sort of started do it like I, I mean it's quite it was quite unusual for people of that age like when I moved out of home I was about 17 18 and I'd have dinner parties around my house so you're right I'd sort of like in my head I got into the thing and I, by the time I went to catering school I was 21 22 so go back before before we go into that so when you, you went to Prue school right? I did but I had already chefed for about a year before I went there so then, so then, yeah, because you, you were in Camden, right? So, if you were... so yeah, I was a body piercer. So I, so it's I... a bit of a change <laughs> round, isn't it? But I was like a little punk, um, psychobilly, really. Music um, was very important. Music really important. Uh, absolutely, it still is. Like you know, food's probably number one love, and then music very close second. Um, and I just remember going, you know, like just wanting to be wanting to get piercings. I mean, my my mum would let me get pierced until I was about fifteen. So I got my ears pierced when I was 15 and then two months later I had my tongue pierced. So, um, and then I just got really interested and I wanted to learn about it. And I, my father died uh, on my first GCSE and so I didn't go back. And so I had, I was actually set up for, for quite a good time post-school. But I never really understood it. I mean, I suffer from ADHD and I say suffer, I think it's actually a superpower. I'm, I'm really proud of my ADHD. Um, but I, at school, I was never really understood because I was, always told you're clever you're clever you're clever but you're distracted you're distracted you're distracted you know you need to focus you need to focus and I just couldn't you know and but when I was in the zone when I enjoyed something like art or English language or literature I was really invested but um the things that I wasn't interested in gone I loved science as well and I you know love I actually loved all the big subjects I just never really I just also did never really understood why you had to do what you had to do at school like I just sort of saw it as like cool. just a process kind of thing it was a thing. process I Everyone think I was slightly arrogant on. about yeah. it and um, so by the time I I mean I was a bit of a twat you know I should have carried on um, even despite my father dying I think I used it as a huge excuse because I was at that point of going off the rails and um, so yeah and then I I loved rock and roll and I loved punk and I loved going to Camden and my ex-boyfriend at the time was really good friends with probably one of the best piercers in the one, I would say the world, it would be fair to say, a guy called Grant Dempsey at Cold Steel in Camden. And uh, I went for an apprenticeship and didn't get it, but I got a job as a receptionist for a bit. And then they gave, once they got to know me, they gave me the uh, apprenticeship. So I did train for three years. He was amazing. I mean. Three said, years? Yeah, that's it. You said, you think that someone being a body piercer, that they have n- not got that investment. But I had to be an apprentice for three years. Within that time, I went off and did bloodborne pathogens courses anatomy and human, human physiology courses. I, I mean, I really, I went and did an open university to do, to do anatomy in the end, you That's know. That's incredible. And that was because he was, a, he was so invested in me and wanting me to be the best. 
And I was so grateful for the opportunity that somebody had cared enough about me and wanted to mentor me to that level that I went out and really, really wanted to be the best. And that stuck with me for everything I've ever done, you know. So that's how I, I am with food. It's a really it's important meticulous. role model in your life then. So important. And I like, when I, whenever I'm training anyone, I want to give that back. And I and the meticulousness of, of how I look at things, I think is so important as a cook to look at all those details, not just be satisfied with you just doing that first thing once and going, oh, that tastes good. Actually really understanding the whys, the hows, the what could what you could do differently. So, um, and I, you know, I mean, I, I think it's quite common knowledge. That I, I, as a recipe writer, I develop things to death, you know, to a point where, you know, my, my assistant often laughs at me because she's like, you'll create this masterpiece and then you're just trying to like eclipse it. You can never quite get back to that. A lot of, and then, almost, and creative, <clears throat> creative people do that though, yeah, don't they? No, because certainly. they think, well, actually, when do you stop? Because yeah. there, there isn't a rule where yeah. to stop. You just can't, you've just got to say, step back now. Do you know what? I think one of the things I've learned so much, um, through growing up would be that there's always room for not improvement, but for development. And, you know, whether that's in yourself as a human being or, or to, towards your work, you know, you're, you shouldn't ever be satisfied with, with your, your sort of finished product because you never know, like there might be another bit of kit that's going to make it even better mm-hmm. one day. There might be another ingredient. You might, might, you might just suddenly have an epiphany one day. So sort of evolving. Yeah. It's it, all, everything's always evolving. Can you kind of remember one of the first dishes that you created that you were proud of? God, I, I probably can't really remember. I, I mean, I remember sort of getting way before I ever saw anyone else doing it, putting, um, uh, making some sort of salted caramels and then putting uh, like a lot of things like rosemary or thyme and things like that or black pepper and like really infusing flavours into the caramels before I ever saw them in uh, chocolate shops in France or Belgium or anything like that. And I just remember sort of, and I made probably about 15 years ago now, um, a salted caramel uh caramel slice that's what you call it um where which is a really simple thing but we're infused with rosemary and it's just simple but it was so delicious it like suddenly it became game changery on opened your eyes a bit like yeah something you sort i don't know so for for somebody at that age so i was i was probably about 24 at the time and suddenly um looking at this with with those sort of fresh eyes and going right this is where you can be challenging things it doesn't have to be trying to put this sort of like big poof on a plate, you know, it, it can be something simple that will really change it. And it's about refinement and getting those ideas refined. But that's what was as a, as a writer, really. And then when you actually cook, cook, it's very different. So when, so you, after the piercing, hmm. you decide, when did you decide, when it hit you and you were like, that's it then, I'm going from piercing anatomy yeah. for three years, which yeah. is a long time. Well, I was working there for seven years. Seven years. Eight, and then almost to, eight, actually. And then to go into food and to fall back in, did you fall back in love of it or was it just a little light bulb moment? What was it? No, I mean, I'd, I'd always cooked and I'd always loved it. And it was like, you know, my number one hobby since I was sort of 13, 14. So I, uh, it just didn't ever occur to me to be a chef. Um, but the more I was piercing the more we were trying to set up our own place at the time and it just it wasn't it kept falling through and I just thought look there's there's this weird sign telling me not to do that and what do I want to do so it just gave me the opportunity to really rethink you know I was still very young I started working when I was 15 and I left the piercing when I was about sort of 22 23 so so you've done basically a career before before most people have done a day's work and left uni. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like when you're that young, 22, you come out of uni, people are like, oh, what do I do now? You'd actually done a proper career. Yep, no, totally. I really, and I really had. 
which I really, I mean, I've, I feel so privileged to have that's done that. And that's you know. helped you in the, totally. of course it has, yeah. Totally. And also with the social skills and like the, the sort of understanding ambitions, to be able to pragmatise these things early on, which was, which was kind of a skill that I think you don't learn for a long time. I'd already got there before I, I started cooking, I think, which has been really lucky for me. Um, but then I, I went to, a friend of mine was a guy called, um, oh God, my brain's completely flat lines. Actually, I won't, I won't say who it was, but he's, he's, uh, <clears throat> I started working at, with a, a restaurant. At, maybe I should, sorry. <laughs> no, so, um, I, I was working with a guy called Will Ricker who, um, owned, like, you know, and, um, he, he, Ian Pengelly was working with him at Eno, and then I, I went and did a stage with them and uh, went down and re- open, helped open Great Eastern Dining Rooms up in Shoreditch, which right. now isn't there anymore, sadly, because it was really great. And uh, that was sort of like fusion, early days fusion. So that must have been like 2001 or two. So it was, uh, it was really cool. I'm really grateful for that opportunity because it was also opening my eyes to... Because at that point, that was the time when Fusion was kind of in. Like Nobu had been around for a while and then uh, Peter Gordon had popped up and with Sugar Club and it was really good. And then suddenly Fusion imploded because it started to get ridiculous. Whereas now we look at Fusion in such a it's different way. It's negative now, isn't it? Everyone's well, bit... I don't think it is. I think it's come back from being negative. Right. I think I think it was done so much though, yeah. wasn't it? But it's fair to do. It's what happens to everything. Bang, bang, yeah. bang. It's bigger and bigger. Then they go, okay, something new. Yeah. But I mean, also, like when you start seeing a Donna Kebab pizza... From from your local pizza place, it sort of starts. You you like them, can't they? You I Do can you know see what? In your face. She looked at me then, and I was just thinking, "Don't look at What's on your t-shirt? Do you know what? I've I've I've, I've had a bite of one. I'm not a fan. Not a fan, I would say, but they are... Um, I mean, listen, that's, I'll, I'll eat it. I'm not yeah, going to pretend there, I won't. If, there's a reason for the Donald Bob Kebab pizza, isn't it? It's like, it's it's one of those nights. If you've got that, it's good. Anyway, mm. sorry, carry on. Um. So, yeah, and then... um. Then I, I went to catering school and I was, uh, I went because my grandmother left some money to me. I was really, Again, I see it as a huge privilege. I was going to go to Westminster and then I just thought, you know what, I want to, I could do this in three years and do another full load of training or I could just go and go to Leith's and have it do an intensive course, uh, which has re and actually the other great thing about Leith's is it has really good, um, you know, extracurricular sort of work, but also it teaches you how to become part of the food world you know so it gives you it has a really good um, um, recruitment side as well Uh, and it really holds your hand so um, I sort of thought god you know what I'm gonna do this but I paid every single bit of money that I had into it and I invested in yourself basically yeah really went into it so yeah and and then I ended up going and it was amazing but I was so broke through the whole thing like I really I ended up squatting in my own flat because I wasn't gonna leave because I got thrown out and you know, I couldn't afford to stay on. So I had, I, and I'd been working like every hour God sent, you know, because I was doing stages in the evening almost every night, having to do from five, nine to five every day at Leith's, uh, working all weekends to get money and uh, having coursework as well. And I was literally like the walking dead for that time. Like I was probably having four hours sleep a night. Were you, was and, everyone else like that? No, because sh- it's a posh school it and is, it is it? private. And, um, there's a couple of, I mean, there's sort of like, there are a handful of people like me. There wasn't in my year, actually, I'll be honest. And how many are in the year? Because I've always wondered this for that I school. I don't know. I've got to say like about 100. Job, so not that many. It's like, it's like sort of three groups of about 30, I'd say. And then you've got, then you've got your like after hours people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe three groups of 25. I don't know. Um, and uh, it, yeah, and it was just, 
um, quite all-encompassing. I just, you know, I passed out for the first time I ever passed out in my whole entire life when I was there. Um, because Dramatic through, as hell in the kitchen. I know. If someone passes out, it's like, no. No, oh no, it was awful. And then I just had, I'd like, then I'm not really a crier, but I was just like burst into floods of tears and was like, I cannot do this anymore, actually. I am, I've got to quit because I'm literally fucked. I'm so, I was on my knees, literally. And uh, they... Very sweetly, Caroline Waldegrave, who was the head of the school, she owned the school, but was also ran things. And she just turned around, she said, we're not losing you, you're one of the best. So what can we do? She's like, I'm going to give you back some money so you don't have to work. And for the, and she's like, you're going to pay me back when you're back at work and we'll work out a plan. But she, she made it so I, I could actually, um, keep I could actually keep, keep going. Yeah. That's sure though. It's hard work, man. It's like yeah. day one with your story. It seems like. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work my ass off on my own, yeah. my own way and just keep on going. It shows yeah. you people see it, don't they? And it's true. And I actually ended up coming top of that school and I won, a, I won the BBC Good Food Prize, which meant that suddenly everyone was very aware of me, which was quite um, a good start to my career, you know? And what age is this? 22. RDL. Yeah, it was good. So, you know, all of the big magazines were like really interested in me and stuff. And that's when things started to progress quite quickly then, right? Yeah, so then I got one this prize at Good Food and I was at Good Food magazine for about a year. And then I, I'm trying to think what, where that went after that. Then I sort of won this placement and was there as food writer and developer with this guy Barney Desmasri, who's also been a huge mentor in my life. He <coughs> head up the whole of Good Food. And yeah, it was, you know, that was another amazing opportunity, learning how to food write, understand um, all of those details. I mean, I, I should say that when I was at Alita, I sort of had a bit of a break after that and I was in restaurants uh, for about 18 months as well. So, you know, I feel like I've, I sort of like strung loads of different things. But after I started writing, I was like, right, actually, this is really where I want to go. But I was still doing pop-up restaurants because that was kind of how I made some money as well through that whole time. And it was right, it was the thing back then that when you... I mean, it was before the thing. Really? I mean, I was doing it 15 years ago. Right, it was, right, okay. So it was me, the only people who were doing it were like Nuno Mendes, Carl Clark and me, really. Oh, and Bistrotech were doing it as well. So it was very, very early days. Um, And we all had our different things. So Bistrotech was like high budget, really beautiful, taking over spaces. Um... Carl was sort of like really rock and roll um, and Nuno was really refined and mine was like fucking, I got I basically got a friend who had a space in a gallery and me and my other mate who was at St John um, ended up uh, doing a sort of takeover and was like, oh, maybe we should just see if people want to pay for our food while they come to these gallery openings. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously they didn't. We gave them the opportunity so everyone came in at the food and, and fucked they used, off. Yeah, they used to free. <laughs> so we, and we never made a penny. But, you know, it did actually, the food was really good and people, it got a bit of a buzz and then eventually we changed the format and, you know, it kind of got into a good thing. And then, then I started, then we got, it was kind of very early days for this to start getting interested with brands and people wanted to invest in, in doing certain events, which was really cool. I mean, it was, like I said, it was very, very early on. Sounds more fun than it was kind of stressful. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's all stressful. You can't pretend. I mean, it's you can't fun. say it's fun when you when you do it out anything outdoor catering. Yes, yeah, you, you've got to look like it. Everyone thinks it's fun because in the field it's not fun. Yeah. It's not because you you've still got you've still got a cook in a field. It, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's like, it's, I hate him. I can't stand doing him. It's not. I mean, like you, you're right. I mean, I remember doing a job in a tiny little cupboard like this and how and they wanted canapes which I would never do ever again I think it's put me off them for life but you're like trying to do this all this intricate work like you're literally squashed in um and it was I mean it's it's not it's not fun <laughs> but it is it's cool creatively and 
you know, it's also a good gauge. Having done that as well, you can gauge what people like and don't like. And, um, you know, I think that I was very lucky to have had all of those different mixed um, experiences within food because it's now really been able to define what I wanted to do. You know, when I first started recipe writing, um, after leaving Good Food, I was uh, working with all the big chefs. I mean, I'm, really, I'm not allowed to say who I worked with because I just don't think it's appropriate. But um, a lot of big chefs have recipe writers that they work with. And, didn't know that. Uh, did you? No. no. I don't know. Most of them do. Um, and, the bubble for me. I'm bubbling. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, what I wanted to be was the person that could fit the sort of bridge, bridge between uh, domestic cook and proper, proper big Michelin chef. So it was kind of taking a lot of the language that they would use and how they cooked and then transferring it into being used. Yeah, so yeah. people could do it at home, exactly. essentially. So that was kind of where I went first. And then I got opportun- loads of opportunities that were working on behind the scenes on TV shows because of these people. And then eventually got headhunted to do telly for myself, which was a bit of a weird one. Because I never would have wanted to do that in a million years. Was that a nice day? Was no. That a, a Horrible day. <laughs> I ran to the hills hell. about three times before, wow. before I actually went up for it. Right. So what, what made you kind of just decide, right, I'm actually going to do it and just see it through? I don't think I had a choice. I think yeah. I was literally bullied into it wow. by somebody who I was working with, a guy called James, um, who he used to do Saturday Kitchen and he was working on a big show called Taste and he I went in to see him about it because we knew each other from around anyway because I think I'd worked on other shows with him. He was like, no, you're pretty much doing this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so... That's kind of where it went from there, and um, then I kept getting, then I got seen on that show by a lot of producers and asked to do telly from that. But I still don't feel comfortable with TV. Oh, really? I hate it. Really? You'd prefer not to do that? Is it the what? Is it the live element, or is I mean, it just yeah. looking back at it? Or what is it? I don't know. Like it, live TV is horrible, but it's fast, so I don't mind it as much. It's just um, over with. It's but... over with. Um, I just don't like, I don't, I mean, I am vivacious and gregarious and, and probably have parts of that personality, but I didn't. And I think that I've got those parts of my personality through having been forced to do a lot of telly. You know, I'm quite insular really. And I want to, I don't ever imagine myself being a TV person. I don't know. I just, and also I just love cooking. I don't really, that's to be known for being, this is kind of why I get frustrated at the moment because I haven't done telly for three years, really, other than things like Sunday brunch. And I don't want to be known as being a TV chef because I work so hard in every other side of my businesses. But it's what people see most, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, it's like famous for doing Cook Yourself Thin, which was over 10 years ago. And yes, it was a huge big primetime show, but it wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't the, uh, my most proudest moment of my yeah. life, you know. In fact, it was probably That's quite the, way the people contrary. Are. Where people are though, it's like you know, yeah. you could you could do many records. You on, but you're on telly doing it once, and yeah. you're, you know people see it more. Yeah, you no, say sure. you say you're most happiest then working on a dish and writing is writing the happy place. Um, I love writing books. I absolutely love it. Um, I've definitely got into the swing of it with slow. I had I changed my whole the two books which have been most successful for me, which were slow and healthy appetite, have been very interesting. How different the process was in writing them. I completely changed what I normally do because bearing in mind I've written several books before I writ writ my own first book because I've been working with all these chefs. So um I had uh I don't know, it's quite it's quite weird when you sort of look at how you're going to do this process. My very first book was called Kitchen Magic and I'm, all of those recipes are very heartfelt and it just was quite an easy sort of brain spill into pages. 
Um, and I'd obviously had the experience working at Good Food, so I knew how to test and develop and things like that. When I did Healthy Appetite, I was in Spain with my mom. Weirdly, we did go away for another six weeks. <laughs> we were laughing about um, me just going away with my mom. Mom's doing a- well for the food, though. She must be getting cooked some nice dishes. She the does. Tester. Well, I mean, she's like my hero in food. So, I mean, I get cooked a lot of nice dishes, too. But um, so we went away for six weeks and it was produce based then. So I was like, right, healthy appetite. What do I love? I'm in Spain. I'm going to go down to the markets every day and I'm going to just get inspired. And that was such a lovely way of, of working too. But with slow, it was really emotive. It was sort of like asking everyone I knew, like, what do you like to eat? How do you know? And then really thinking about rib sticking foods that, are, you know, that are, that are going to be emotive and that are the things that you want to spend time at home cooking. And it was very interesting because when I speak, spoke to everyone, I was like, what, what's the sort of stuff you love to cook at home? And it was always like ragouts, soups, braises, roasts. And that's what I think inherently us British people love the most. It's, I think it's family as well. Mm, I, bought, I bought that book for my brother yeah, and his missus for Christmas and his wife, slow. Mm, yeah. look, and, I, and, I, and I was looking through it as you do. Whenever you buy a book, yeah. before you wrap it, you have a look. And I was like, it is very much like what me and my, when me and Ben started to do this podcast. We were like, we want to be like family mm. memories from like when you were a kid at school and what you had on a Friday, what you had on a Tuesday. Cause you, had this, you know what I mean? It's a lot of them kind of dishes yeah. and a roast as well, which is for me. That, and that is it, you know, that, that's exactly where it comes from because while I do joke about my childhood, you know, not having those, those sorts of dishes, like craving those sorts of dishes, that was definitely the sort of family stuff. Sunday lunch was the thing that kept everyone together. We had to come home, you know, by hook or by crook on that Sunday, otherwise we were murdered. Even if we were just crawling in from the cl- clubs at like, <laughs> you know, seven in the morning, it was like, family time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be late. Yeah, no, totally. So. It was really, I don't know, and it, and it is, it's the stuff that, you know, they are the recipes that get passed down and yeah. And, uh, and, but then also being able to look at them with, again, with how I like to look at food, with fresh eyes, with looking at new ingredients, maybe classically we weren't using, you know, things like feather blade or ox cheek or oxtail for, for your braises, which are probably very old school, but you know, classically because we can't buy these things in a supermarket. And because the essence of that whole thing was it had a lot of meaning about sustainability and understanding slow food and really not not in its cooking techniques, in its operative sense that how we want foods which are slow grown and why we want those foods and what makes the difference in them and why we shouldn't be eating as much meat anymore and why we should be, if we're going to eat meat, we need to be eating the whole animal. And if we're going to be eating the whole animal, um, we need to be still making a little bit go in a very long way. Um, it sounds like a great process. It's just like you're yeah. learning, you're working. It, it's, it's a lo- is it a long process? Yeah, I mean, that was a really long process. And it was lovely because I got to work with producers as well. And that was part, I mean, I, I've, I dedicated that book to all the producers I worked with because you just think, God, what we're, all we're doing is making their food look and, and taste good, actually. And these people go out on a limb to, and also to not make as much money as they could be if they were doing intensive red food, you know. And, and they do it because they really believe in eating and in health and in their animals and you know and I just was it was quite an overwhelming process it's totally changed how I shop and I eat for good now you know and has that when when did the idea for filth come come about then so filth um I met Rose Ferguson who's my business partner at the big festival about five years ago and we were absolutely um having a very fun time shall I say uh but we sort of like been mates on over the internet for a while as well and then we sort of chatted about those things. She liked me because I was quite contrary about the health food industry. You know, I was a real passionate believer in 
real food and she felt the same and was getting very frustrated equally with that movement which was going on back then, which was clean eating, uh, as was I. Um, and she was like, but she loved, we, we love challenging each other. She's a scientist, you know, she might be a, an ex-supermodel, but the woman is very, very clever, you know. And she's working with um, Belfast University doing the new um, grading of how uh, your food's health is sort of, um, you know, when you get the little traffic light system, she's doing it so it's not simply um, about, you know, fats and sugars and things like that. She's looking at how these foods are processing in your body, which is really cool. I mean, she's a fucking clever woman. And then, um, but we we would always be things like, talking about things like gut health and what that really means and what's the, what the truth, because... God, I can I see I waffle a lot. Sorry, oh, I'm like, going I off on a lot of it. tangents. Um, but she basically made me. We, we went to the Maya Clinic together, which was a big sort of health medical health clinic, where you sort of get your bloods taken and then they sort of work out what exactly is wrong with you. And some of it is brilliant, and some of it is a bit of a farce, as far as I'm concerned. So you get to know little quirks about your own kind of dietary kind of requirements, and exactly. you can kind of tailor but, it. Quite yeah. scary yeah. as well, though. Oh, some of it you might That'd not want to know. <laughs> Like, well, that to I yourself, mean, <laughs> because thankfully, because I was with Rose, some of it is, you know, a bit of a shoddy science. Some That's of it, she re- knew. some of it really is. Is I mean, I think you know, in- intrinsically, you do know what's real and what isn't. You know, what comes from your blood is real. I think there are some some techniques that I'm like. Mm. Anyway, we we went away and we started talking that we I'd, I'd had at the back of my mind that I wanted to do something with uh, health food, but a really sort of obnoxious version of it. Um, and she wants to do the same you know um and we just got talking and we started working on sort of uh healthy comfort foods and then I was just like right let me go off and do a burger because I just want to try this and I made this veggie burger because we knew that it was going to have loads loads more nutrition in it than a beef burger but then we were like fuck this is actually really good anyway so we went and did a tasting for some investors and everyone was like at the end of it, we were, we did the tasting and we went off and cleared up, got home and every single one of us sort of sent a text at about the same time going, I think we should ditch everything else and just do the burger because it's so good. All, all of the um, investors got back to us saying we loved it, but we'd love to just do the burger. And it just sort of like the whole thing came together as a, you know, that's really the way that we, the angle we should go down towards because it just sort of fit. But that was it, the burger in its early stages. That was like two years ago. Then the process, process, yeah. I mean, if I look back at that burger, it was far more a bean burger than it is now, you know. And then we started working. I mean, I can't really tell you too much about it. I mean, for those that don't really know, Filth is a is a new fast food brand that I've launched, and it's a a a vegan burger chain. Um, Well, hopefully, chain. Can't (laughs) have one side. (laughs) But the yeah, I I know. There we go. That was a massive Freudian slip there. Um, (laughs) But it's it's uh, not only is it uh, vegan because we've now sort of it's sustainable which is kind of really the the ambition here it wasn't to be completely vegan other than the fact that we wanted to create this book that was totally sustainable and traceable and that was my ambition and then working along with rose whose ambition was to make it as nutrient dense as possible we've now got this burger that sort of looks and it doesn't act like me that what was happening at the time was also we were hearing about the impossible burger which is the one which has been made by and it bleeds um, yeah that's the microsoft made bill gates burger and it's and it bleeds but it's made in a laboratory and it's it's amazing you have to try it if you if you if you had one yet yeah, so you've got this burger that bleeds and i just thought god for what first of all rose was like where is the nutrition in this it's it's got vegetable protein sure 
but there's nothing else to it. And that was part of our thing. We were looking at all the junk food out there going, you know, one of the most famous burgers on the market actually seeps nutrition from your body. It acts like a sponge and removes it as well as filling you up with fat and sugar and, and salt and all of that stuff. So we were like, there must be a way that we can do this. And then we've, we've managed to pack um, loads of nutrition into these, into the patties. The patties sort of look and act, they act like meat, but they're not trying to be meat. It's really interesting. It is sort of a new product. It's not really, um, it's got a bit of chew. It's got a bit of, um, you know, it's made using a very clever version of soy mints. It's not your classic soy mints, um, but also among a load of other nutritious things, you know. And, but it's, um, the buns are, are infused with either one of the buns is a yellow bun and it's with turmeric and carrots. So we've just got some, actually, I'm not going to tell you how we make them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also some beetroot in one of them. Their buns taste like buns. They don't taste any different to your and regular And they look, and it, they're very eye-catching. Because yeah, that's another fun. thing about brands, isn't yeah. it? What you keep, everything that you keep talking about coming up is something different and something yeah. special and going, let's find yeah. it and let's make it better. You I know? mean, that's, who that's coined it. the name? Well, it was pure filth for ages. Right, okay. Um, which I actually came up with. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. But we were like, no, it's ridiculous. And then in the end, we would, we were talking and... And we were like, no, actually, we couldn't. None of us could get our brains off it. I actually said it, and I was like, what am I talking about? That's awful. Um, and then, yeah, and then we kind of went off and decided that it was good. But sadly, last year we lost the pure in a legal battle before we'd even opened because we did a pop up at the Tate a year ago, and um, pure the business uh, who is the the sort pure of, gyms. No, <laughs> quite. Um, Imagine the, that. The, the pure own um, own the rights to the name. They're they're a, a health food brand on the high street, and uh, they tried to sue us. And in the end, we had to sell out of court because we were a new company. Spent a small fortune on on it, and you know, I do actually think we would have won. But if we didn't, it just wasn't worth the fight. You know, it wasn't, it's, it's not the, it's not really nice press to have as well, is it? If you well, you know what I mean, it's all it's not. I fair. don't mind. I think I mean the press would have been worse for them, but yeah, I just. Broad. I, you know, it was, we were a brand new business. We're, we're still a startup, essentially, you know. One site, so, it is, it is. Yeah, and, and uh, we don't have that money. And we couldn't fight, we couldn't fight the people with the money. And I with like the big investment money. better, though. I, I think, I think it nails it, yeah. I think yeah. it looks better as well. Yeah. Smaller. Oh, yeah, know. no, it's good. It's good. I mean, the pure side was really cool because it kind of defined both of it. And plus the term, pure filth. But, you know, I... I, I, I now we managed to launch properly with filth. I don't think anybody, if you didn't know, like you guys did, then, it, then it's... You yeah. Know. Well, speaking of press, when did you get the text to say, oh, the Beckons have just been in? <laughs> I can't believe that. I know. I was away. I was so livid. Um, yeah, Rose said, I think David Beckham's coming in today with Victoria and the kids. And I was like, what? She's like, I don't know what, should, should, like, should we look after them? And I was like, she was like, I don't know, I'll let you know. And then before I knew it, well, I was in Thailand, so I went to sleep. And then I thought, it was really weird, because I thought there was like some weird tsunami warning, because there was this like, going on. And I woke up to this noise, and it was literally thousands of messages coming into my <laughs> telephone saying, David Beckham's just tweeted for Instagram from, uh, from Filth. And I was just like, woke up having a small heart attack, just thinking, oh my God. No one's ever looked that good having a burger. I mean. <laughs> he's the most, he, he's just, oh, he's such a That wasn't fun. his first shot. That was like take two. Yeah. Imagine that. He'll have, he'll have got a Victoria's but, mate to do pictures. Yeah. But she was there. Like, do you know the great thing about that is, is that they just, it is a burger bar. There's no messing around. It's a bar. They just came uh, in, They just sat came down. in, sat down, got, bought their burgers, paid for them, mm. you know. And I just thought, you legends, actually. That made me really respect them. That must have been awesome. And one of the kids is vegan and I 
I think that they really? wanted to. Which uh, one? Yeah, I don't know. I reckon it's not it's not Brooklyn. Yeah, um, and they and I think that they just wanted to um, experience it, and they were considering whether they they should all go vegan short term or, or whether they should really. Everyone everyone is stupid if they don't want to consider changing a little bit plant based in their life. You know, you have to now. It's really ignorant to think otherwise, and I think it's really cool seeing celebrities like that embracing that because you know we are running out of stocks let's be honest and we can't keep going it's unsustainable to keep producing meat the way that we are and it's unethical and we all know that now and it's like it's grotesque we can't do it if you're going to eat meat you've got to remember that we're eating an animal's life um you know it shouldn't we shouldn't be so privileged that just to presume that that's okay you know and as much as i i do eat meat still i'm not vegan um I do make sure that when I do eat it, I eat it and it counts and it, and I really mean something. Well, I can vouch for that. That was the best muffin I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you ju- yeah, you've just been on holiday. Um... Do you say holiday? No. <laughs> I was, it was a torture chamber. That's where <laughs> I was. Yeah. The sports prison. It was like, it was like go to the buffet and all you got is carrots and cucumber. That's what yeah, it was, that's basically it? Yeah. not even. <laughs> so when you, do you get lots more ideas about you know food and recipes and what you want to do when you come back? Yeah, I mean, I went. I went to a um, to the sports thing for not a holiday, not a holiday, um, and I wanted to understand about veganism uh, a bit more because. You know, it's the future. I mean, it shouldn't. I also, I say that. You know, I'm really pro veganism um, for for various reasons, but I also am pro, really pro agriculture and farming. So I'm also pro eating meat in the right context. So I just want to say that right away. But um, you know, I really feel for our farmers in, at the moment for so many reasons, and I really, really want to support all of our producers, the good ones. Um, but I also know that we have to inspire people to, to eat more vegetables and to eat vegan food. And what I wanted to do was. Um, this place is quite famous. Um, it's called Tanyapura and it's quite famous for being a sports retreat. It deals with loads of athletes and it was one of the places that was made famous because um, the athletes that went there were vegan and a lot of them were and they were still coming out buff. And so a lot of the doctors that worked there were really understanding how uh, the nutrition worked for that and why because we were always taught, taught that protein has to come from meat for in order for us to build muscle and that isn't the truth there are still a few things that you can't get from vegan food which is uh, a problem uh health-wise you know i mean i suffer from adhd for example and i have to have fish oils there is nothing other than medicine that's gonna suit me you know i came off my adhd meds because i sort of nullified my brain a bit um whereas i the fish oils have really made me sort of sharper, more focused, able to have more better conversations. I still have ADHD and I still have moment, my moments, but you know, and, and I believe that there are certain things you can do. There are seaweeds and uh, algae that the fish eat in, in order to um, be able to uh, create the DHAs and the omegas that they need. But it's actually the combination of the oils from the fish and these, these DHAs that are really good for your brain. So I, I, I you know, it isn't necessarily the best diet in the world. Now there's sort of, I mean, again, this is a huge sweeping statement, but this is something I really strongly believe that um, brain, uh, the evolution of the brain really needs fish oils, you know. So, uh, and I mean that from from like being a little baby all the way through or a little seed in someone's tummy all the way through to, you know, going, getting potential, um, God, what's it called when you get old and you lose your brain? Your Alzheimer's, yeah, sorry. Um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, having that, that whole... It, I think fish is is sadly very important for us. Um, and then 
CoQ10 and CLAs, which are in dairy and beef, which are good for, again, loads of different things, cognitive health and muscle. It's the only thing that we really, you can, but you can get everything else from, from vegetables and veganism. You know, you can, you can live really healthily and really good long lives. It's, you educa- know? it's education though. I mean, like even you saying that now, like I'm learning as mm. we're doing this. People need to be educated, Absolutely. not just in cities, not mm. just in cities Absolutely. where you've got vegan restaurants, yeah. in other towns totally. and small places and, you know, like big supermarkets, you know, what's cheap? Mm. Meat. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's it. But then also as well, people go and get vegetables, like all the packaging now on them, every, you know, people need to be educated from the ground up that's from an easy. early age about it properly. And that's what, when you do cooking at school, it shouldn't be like, you know, let's make a pizza. Mm. It should be like, let's learn about like... Do you know what I mean? I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, that this has been our big thing with filth was that our patty is more expensive than a beef burger for various reasons. The ingredients, one, but also the um, the processing that goes into it. You know, it, do, it isn't just a matter of like mincing the meat and forming it, you know. But how messed up is it that an animal's life has such, it's done it such disregard that it's more attainable to somebody and affordable than vegetables? And that is something that we really have to address as a government and as uh, as people who are cooking at home, you know. We need to start really understanding that this isn't a good way for anyone. You know, nobody's winning in this health-wise, um, you know. Not even the farmers are winning. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. It's like there's, it's, it, you know. Well, that sounds like it's, that has to be the future of food. It really, it really has to be. And we all, you know, we all hold that responsibility and so I wanted to go, sorry, waffling on again, but I wanted to go to Thailand to learn about uh, how people, you know, I'd already been to Korea um, for six months and I understood about sort of Korean um, Buddhist food and how people naturally eat these delicious things. Um, and they are really delicious because they're part of their heritage. They're, you know, centuries old rather than this modern type of vegan food, which uh, is kind of cool and trendy, but... You know, so I just wanted to like regress a bit and see, understand sort of Thai Buddhist food as well, which was fascinating. I mean, it was so delicious. It so looked delicious. amazing. I felt I was eating it on your Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. I need to get myself out there. You need to. It's really go. interesting. So, I mean, what what's, what's some of the kind of the places that you love here in London? So, I mean, my favourite restaurants probably in the moment, I, I mean, I've always loved Braun. Braun is uh, a lovely little sort of, Brasserie, I guess, but in um, in uh, Columbia Road, but yeah, Brasserie doesn't really do it justice. It's it's just really loads of lovely little small plates. Um, so lovely to eat there. It's, it's, it's like it's like the proper neighbourhood restaurant. It I really think, is. Isn't it? it really is. Um, and then I love uh, Brat, and I love uh, St Leonard's. We were talking about earlier. Lovely Andrew Clark. I believe you've interviewed recently. Yeah, yeah, we did. Nice lad. Um, and I love. Oh God, I love so many different places, you know. I mean, those are my sort of like classic go-tos Always oh, all close to your house as well. No, well, we're uh, so spoiled in Hackney. All chefs, all chefs have said to us, they said like, all right, I like that, I like that, but let's be honest, whatever's close to my house. Oh, so true. I mean, like I, uh, you know, if I get, I mean, I'm really, see, I've got, I'm quite lucky because I've got two strings to my bow. You know, a lot of, I mean, I do also write columns and write for newspapers and things like that. So I get invited as you do. You don't need to lots of, um, we're so no, spoiled. No, no, and there's me. Yeah. Oh, there's so me at home, I'm beans on toast. Like you two are, <laughs> at Brat. Spawning it off. At Brat having a lobster. Yeah. Laugh, laughing. I wonder where he's at tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're privileged, like you say, you know, you're so grateful that you get to have these opportunities oh God, to experience completely. this food. It's incredible. They're imperative it? to what we do. You know, mm. I think a lot of people have sort of frowned upon, um, the sort of gifted side of our business and mm. 
I, I just think that it's important it's to keep it's to, it was to keep us up, up up on and knowing what's going on in the world because it's it's like you said that evolves the whole time. It's really important to understand what's good and what's and it goes back into you know getting that message across about the education part of it, which is is so important for for new things, isn't it? Mm. And for me, it's for someone with small business as well, like when when someone does come to your restaurant, which is not a massive thing or big funded or anything like that. It's great. Mm. You know, they want to come and have your food. Of course, you're going to give, gift them and, and let them come and have your food because then maybe they might do something that will help your business get yeah, bigger. Yeah, I mean, there is that exchange. I mean, I don't always see it like that. I have quite a strict rule that unless I absolutely love it, I do not uh, write about it. You can't expect me to write about well, it. I won't so. invite you. I won't invite you. I won't invite you unless I knew it was going to be mega. <laughs> if, it, if I knew it was going to well, be crap, I, mean, I wouldn't invite you to. Well, that's, that's what we then, do. Yeah. But then a lot of people don't have that. I mean, a lot of people just presume or think that they're great. And oh, they I'd be terrified. Because <laughs> I I before I even knew you, you came up to have some dinner and I was terrified then. It was like the second time I met you, wasn't it? I was shaking. Were you shaking? Because yeah, I was nervous. Because I was so like, funny. I was like, I really need to get, I need to get, a, I need to get a good review. I need to get it up in the top ten in London roasts, yeah. and I did. You know, I just took one look at your socks, and I was like, did <laughs> he hike there? You saw the hikes, and you were like, you just felt sorry for me. You were like, oh, my nana bought me a thousand socks off QVC as well. <laughs> that was good. That, that was, that was not bad. Not bad. <laughs> so yeah, um, we're going to end with a little quick fire, if you don't yeah. mind, Gizzy. Oh, sh- you can be, a, you don't. Have, we say yeah, it quick, not, it's not, it's quite it's a long time. It's going to take a long time. We you do know the same that, brace thing. yourself. Um, top three foods you couldn't live without? Ooh, garlic, uh, salt, lemon. Oh, nice. Favourite food, guilty pleasure? Noodles. noodles. I feel so bad because packet noodles are my dream and I can't, I'm really trying to eat sustainably and they have palm oil in them and I can't, I've promised I was never going to eat them again and I got pissed last night and I had someone <laughs> with my dinner. So he said to me when she was on the noodles last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, biggest kitchen disaster. Um, I ha- do you know what? I've, I've had quite a few. I think it's fair, fair to say, but one was um, asking a very famous meat chef um, how to cook a shoulder of goat and him telling me the most ridiculous timing and me not being bothered to cook. Thinking that sounds a bit, it was like uh, 100 degrees for eight hours. And I was like, right, really? But he said, yeah, because of the fat, you know, there's no fat. You've got to just do it really low and slow. And getting my it ready for my guests and it being like a fucking basketball. And uh oh, no, and, then, and then just being like <laughs> and then being like, this is not gonna go well. We're gonna there's at least another ten hours of this. And I thought, well, I've started like this, so I'm gonna carry on. But by the time we actually got around to eat it, it was like two in the morning and we were all absolutely covered. What you mean? So. Fair dues. So you that's how I'm gonna get them next time you come yeah. next time you come a review. Well Jordan's suffering from a bit of a kitchen disaster at the minute, aren't you? Oh go on. It's not, well, this is a week. So last night, I've got Andrews, came home, a couple of sherries, whatever. I've had a bloody um an accident with a hot water bottle. I burnt my fingers. With a hot water bottle. Two fingers. Two fingers as well. My my bloody V's, right? <laughs> it's the first time I've ever put anything in a hot water bottle. It was always done well, by it was always done water, by my mum. Yeah. And, or, and now uh, I just go cold, right? Yeah. <laughs> and literally, most was like, go and get a water bottle. So I did it. And oh my God. It's it was, the worst. It was like a bladder. It was this huge bladder. I went, oh, I think I've put too much in. She went, yeah, you have. So I went like that. And I went to pour it out. Uh, oh, so God. On the fingers. There's me. I got bloody uh, hello, fresh ice cube on me. I <laughs> anyway, go on, Benny boy. Right. Uh, well, this is kind of an apt place for this one. Mm-hmm. Top three bits of kit you can't live without in your kitchen. Um, chopping board. I've got a very nice one. Uh, oh God, I need to find out who this is. It's like a bench, isn't it's it? It's amazing. It's a it's a beauty. 
Um, and it's colour coordinated. It's colour coordinated. Um, uh, really good knives. I love I live for the Japanese knife company. They're amazing. Um, and if I'm going to be a spoilt cow, I'm going to say my Thermomix is. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that. one chef has not said that. Yeah. yeah. Every single person. What Thermomix? Yeah. Every single person. Yeah. If you had to meet the, eat the same meal every day, what would you have? Hmm. Rice, chicken, or spaghetti bolognese? I don't know. Probably. Probably. Every day, remember? Every, Every day. Every day. Spaghetti I think. I thought you would have said noodles. No, because it's oil, kind mate. of noodles anyway. I know. <laughs> Get a bloody done. <laughs> um, if you could, this is the last question. Um, if you could cook your favourite meal for one person, who would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I fell in love last night. Maybe the person I met last night. <laughs> Pretty sure I'm not going to say who it is. That's not very helpful, is it? Um, if you're listening, I'm all. If you're listening, you're in for a treat. She's doing muffins. Yeah. No, um, I've, mm, I don't know. Like, I'd probably love to cook for a hero, um, but then I'd also be completely terrified. And also, who? Mm, I don't know. You could have said us. You've, you've already done it. That's yeah. why we can't do it. I, I <laughs> yeah, don't no, know. Somehow, uh, I think. You, you know. said one person. It, yeah, it could be, be anyone. To like, yeah, it could be anyone. It could be impossible to choose. Uh, I really don't know. I don't know. But the person I love spending the most time with of all time who doesn't eat, and I'd love to get her to eat, is my niece, Edie. So she, um, she's my favourite person of all time. We're best mates. Awesome. Done. Yeah. Gizzy, thank you very, very much. I've had a really nice time. Thank you. No, you Thank too. You. Thank you. Sorry I talked too much. I love it. <laughs> Daisy. It's part, part of the show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Well, just fell in love with her house. It's absolutely bloody amazing. Imagine having a pink kitchen. Well, it was a bit, it was very pink. I think we, I think we blended in very well. You mean you got embarrassed? Well, I got a tiny embarrassed. I thought that was fantastic. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, listeners. Um, you know what to do. Get yourself out there. Spread the word. Um, unfortunately, you didn't have breakfast with Gizzy Erkskin, but I hope it made you feel a little bit like you did. We'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 